Good evening, listeners, brave navigators of the enigmatic and the concealed. Have you ever felt the pull of the unanswered, the allure of the mysteries that shroud our existence? For more than a decade, a unique comic publisher has dared to dive into these mysteries, unafraid of the secrets they might uncover. This audacious entity is Paranoid American. Welcome to the mystifying universe of the Paranoid American podcast. Launched in the year 2012, Paranoid American has been on a mission to decipher the encrypted secrets of our world. From the unnerving enigma of MK Ultra mind control to the clandestine assemblies of secret societies. From the awe-inspiring frontiers of forbidden technology to the arcane patterns of occult symbols in our very own pop culture. They have committed to unveiling the concealed realities that lie just beneath the surface. Join us as we navigate these intricate landscapes, decoding the hidden scripts of our society and challenging the accepted perceptions of reality. Folks, I've got a big problem on my hands. There's a company called Paranoid American making all these funny memes and comics. Now, I'm a fair guy. I believe in free speech uh, as long as it doesn't cross the line. And if these AI-generated memes dare to make fun of me, they're crossing the line. This is your expedition into the realm of the extraordinary, the secret, the shrouded. Come with us as we sift through the world's grand mysteries, question the standardized narratives, and brave the cryptic labyrinth of the concealed truth. So strap yourselves in, broaden your horizons, and steel yourselves for a voyage into the enigmatic heart of the paranoid American podcast. Where each story, every image, every revelation brings us one step closer to the elusive truth. Don't try to stop me this time, Smee. I don't know if anyone even knows that reference. 1991 hook. Anybody? I'm just here by myself, actually. But what? But uh, Smee is also another word for subject matter expert, which is who I got today. And he goes by the name of John Kozik, um, who actually owns and runs the Salem Witchboard Museum. So welcome, John. How's it going, man? It's going great. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate it. So I um okay, I'll, I'll pop you down here next to me. Perfect. So I was uh I, I was mentioning a couple times in my my chat here on this channel that I was going to go to Salem pretty soon and I got a number of people all saying, you know, you have to go to the Salem Witchboard Museum. Um and when I was down there, you know, sure enough going around it's it's actually a lot smaller than I originally expected it to be. Um but man I just got to say, hands down, it was the best museum that we ended up going to out of all the different spots. I think we got suckered into almost every little <laughs> tourist trap that they've got in Salem, right? But when we when we actually went into the Witchboard Museum, not only were you in there and like incredibly excited to show us all this stuff, but it was the only place that had like some legit history and wasn't just someone like collecting a paycheck that seemed disinterested in the whole Anyways, I'm not going to go on in too much depth. Welcome, John Kozik. Uh, let people know where to find you, first of all. And uh, like, if you got any other social media or any links, I'll post them down below, of course. Yeah, I'm at 127 Essex Street, which is you know the main street in Salem, Massachusetts. And um, you know, besides Instagram, Facebook, those are really the two main ways to to check out you know more information about the museum, uh, Salem Witchboard Museum. And so how long have you been doing the Salem Witchboard Museum, like there in that location in downtown Salem? 
the museum's only been around for four years. Um, you know, I didn't, I had done an exhibit at the Satanic Temple about five years ago, and that's really what helped me see that there was a lot of interest in the history. It wasn't just my friends and myself interested in this, that, you know, other people were kind of interested in um, Ouija boards. And so four years ago, opened the museum, and it's the world's only Ouija board museum. And I'm lucky to be in Salem where, you know, obviously it's a very spooky city and it fits well there. But also, you know, the Ouija board was made in Salem. So there's a local history to it as well. Um, so that's how it came about, just me being a very obsessed collector and eventually being able to put my collection on display. You said the the world's, you know, only... That's an awesome claim, by the way. That's awesome. Is Ouija board big in any other countries because isn't it like a like american phenomena in a lot of ways or are there like european and and you know other counterparts to this no i mean there are you know the ouija brand itself is sold all over the world and other competitors to ouija other talking boards or witch boards a generic name for them uh, they're sold in other countries but it's not even close to as competitive as it is here in america um you know, other countries and cultures have kind of had their own spirit communication tools and, and devices. And um, the Ouija board never catches on in other countries like it does here. Mm. Um, in Europe, for instance, you know, table tipping, seances, pendulum, tarot, automatic writing were things that they had been using before really the spiritualist movement came to America in the mid 1800s. And so the Ouija board is kind of the new kid on the block in a lot of ways where, you know, other people were using things that worked just fine for them and they didn't really need a new thing. How often do you yourself use Ouija boards for their intended purpose? I don't use the Ouija board at all, which surprises some people. But um, for me, you know, the way I became interested in the Ouija board was I inherited my grandmother's board and she used it alone and she flew on a thing. She would, yell out letters and numbers quicker than anyone could write down what she was saying. And unfortunately for me, the board doesn't work the same way for her. And um, I've been a musician for, you know, well over 35 years. And I always make the joke that, you know, Jimi Hendrix was my father. I wouldn't want to play guitar. I'm not going to be as good on guitar. It's really how I feel about the Ouija board because, you know, I believe they work. They work differently for everyone. But you influence the board quite a bit, whether you know it or not. And your beliefs, superstitions, rules that you might have could be totally different than someone else. And really, no one's wrong. It just works differently. So for me, I'm very nervous about the board not working for me, that I'll actually influence into not working for me. Uh, in the last two months, I've decided I will use the Ouija board. I'm just waiting to use it with a friend of mine named Karen. Uh, she's used the board for over 50 years, never had a bad experience with it. And so I feel most confident that if it's going to work for me, it'll work with her. So at this point, I'm really just waiting to use it with her. Do you see any potential danger in using one? For myself, no. But yeah, for, for yourself, people, sure. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, like, so what's the delineation? Is it just because you you happen to be the the world's expert on Ouija boards, so you know what the pitfalls are, and you're going to follow the rules, or is there something else to it? Uh, I I think it's it's all about your. Um, your intent, really, you know what I mean? And positive intentions will bring positive results. Uh, you know, I think that if you go <clears throat> using the Ouija board, uh, wanting to do something stupid or, you know, that something stupid will probably happen for you. But 
for me using it, you know, I don't, I don't believe I'm going to be looking for anything like that. It's going to be a, a more of a positive experience um, using it, you know? Do you have any sort of like tells when someone walks in and they're, I, I'm going to paint like two very broad buckets, but we can make other ones up. But like if you've got like a hardcore woo woo person that walks in, they're just all about Ouija boards, you know, all the time versus maybe like a, like a skeptical academic that's there and kind of, you know, scoffing it at some of the stuff. Like, can, are there any tells like that? Are there any like specific archetypes of, of people that walk in? You're like, Oh, this is going to be a X, Y, or Z. Well, I mean, the only time that I've really ever looked at someone and kind of judged, you know, I, I kind of thought what I might get with them was surprisingly was some kind of clergy member. And, you know, I looked at them and I instantly thought, okay, here we go. They're going to be, you know, negative. They're going to maybe um, try to steer the conversation in one direction. And it, that couldn't have been more opposite than what happened. Um, this person here, um, you know, really went, went, went in with an open mind and listened to my stories, listened to the history, asked a lot of questions. And when they left, they actually shook my hand. They're like, thank you so much. You know, you gave me so much to think about. And I felt like an asshole for thinking that because I had judged him without really knowing anything about him at all, just by the way he looked. Um, it's hard to, it's hard to get what people, you know, what you're going to get. The majority of people are, are going to be interested in the paranormal. And so they're coming in trying to maybe have an experience to that. And um, there are people that are skeptical, but usually I have to ask a few questions to kind of get where they are. And the people that are skeptical, you know, for me, I like to just have a conversation with them be like, you don't have to believe that you're speaking to a ghost or a spirit. There are plenty of people that use these boards that use them as a way to tap into their subconscious. Scientists, they call that the idiomotor effect. And it means that, you know, you're just tapping into, you know, muscle memory and uh, it's, it's working on based on something you already know. And there are people uh, that pretty prominent, you know, well-known people using Ouija boards who have used them uh, as a way of just tapping into a subconscious like meditation, who've gotten some pretty amazing results. So the people that are most skeptical that it's going to work, that they're not going to speak to a spirit, you know, I try to just talk them through some history and some examples of people using them where you just have to be open to the fact that you're going to have a, a conversation or a communication that it, you don't have to necessarily believe where that communication is coming from. And and usually I'm, I've got a vision in my head as you kind of describe this. And even if you don't believe that you're talking to spirits um, and it could be, just be your subconscious, right? It's the hand on the planchette and you're moving the planchette around the board, but there's other form factors for Ouija boards, right? Is do you think that they're all valid or not? Are there any like in particular that are like cooler than the planchette? Uh, oh, for like, you mean like dial plates or um, like pendulum and other like spirit communication tools? Right. Is, is, did the planchette just kind of went out because of convenience or is there actually something deeper and more, you know, um, like accurate to it? I think it's, it's like pretty user friendly, number one. And, um, you know, I think that that, because it's just, it, it's proven to work well with the board itself, you know, most of those boards, um, you know, for the most part, look very similar to each other. And um, they just make a good marriage of these two things kind of going together. Um, 
so for me, you know, I, I, I believe they work based because of the, the user friendliness of them. The art, the double arch is on there. The planchette doesn't have a lot of distance to travel uh, between there. Um, but some people would have total opposite beliefs than me. And like, again, they, they wouldn't be wrong in thinking that. But some people, um, you know, have so many different beliefs about the Ouija board and why they work better for, in some places and, and other places, why they work better for them. Uh, you know, everything from a board that's homemade, putting energy into it, working better to a, a wooden board working better than something made of plastic. Um, but for me, I think, that, you know, the, the planchette works best because it's it's used with that um, alphabet board and they're just a good combination together. And outside of form factor, you also were kind of mentioning, you know, plastic and wood. And do you have any thoughts on what sort of, you know, medium is the best for using it? Like is, is like, you know, old oak that you find in an old attic better than if we go over to defunct Toys R Us, you know, and, and find like an old one package and it's, you know, cardboard. Does that still work? I mean, for me, I believe that all of these are going to work the same. You know, you could take a piece of paper and write out the alphabet on it and it would work just as well as a vintage board that might cost, you know, a couple hundred dollars to buy. Um, so I believe they all work the same. That's me. You know, again, other people have all different beliefs about that. I've had people tell me that, you know, um, I have, there's some counterfeits in the museum. There are boards that stole the Ouija brand. Um, Ouija is the first brand of these talking boards. It's the biggest brand. And so a lot of times people have stolen that name and put it on their product without permission. And I've met people who tell me, oh yeah, those, those don't work. And I find that pretty interesting, you know, like they don't believe it's work because it's not the real one. You know, if I go to a restaurant and I ask for a Coke and people say, well, I have a Pepsi, is that okay? That's not okay for me. So I, I get that some people are going to want the Ouija brand, the real Ouija brand um, to use it. So th this one's a little bit more specific. So so help me narrow it down if, if it feels like I'm just like swimming all over the place with this. But as it relates to... Um, Spirit boxes. And I guess, first of all, are you familiar with spirit boxes? To be honest with you, not really. I, I believe it's, a, maybe you can explain it just a little bit as to what it is. So my, I'm also like somewhat unfamiliar, but a spirit box from like a very simplified point of view, it's like a little radio, like an AM slash FM radio. And it just kind of randomly jumps around stations. And so you'd like ask a question out loud. And the you know ghosts or spirits or something is supposed to kind of help guide as it randomly jumps around stations and you just get bits and pieces of words. So you might say, you know, who's out there? And if it jumps around and the first one sounds like static and you just go, and then it jumps and then you hear er, and then it jumps again, you hear ah, then you might say, oh, it's just that his name is Sarah, right? Sir, uh. So that's kind of an, an aspect of it. And I guess the logistics, because I'm, I'm an engineer by heart, right? So I've tried to figure out what are the logistics. And the explanation that I've heard is that that is just like them understanding, you know, spirits understanding how to manipulate frequencies and talk to us through this device. And it is one aspect of it. But I've heard arguments too. It's like that puts the onus on spirits to understand how like AMFN radio works. And you might just be getting like the, the ham radio ghost or something. So does the 
planchette and the board and like the concept of the Ouija board that we're used to. Is that described as like the ghost or the spirits that you're talking to are actually using that? Like they understand how the board works or is the user just kind of tapping into like some Akashic stream of consciousness and that's guiding it. I mean, I, I, I believe that people are believing it's the spirit that is, you know, guiding the planchette, your eyes, your hands are using and touching that item, but it's the, the spirit that's in control of your hands. And that's what's, that's moving it. And because I think that's a very primitive, um, you know, source of communication, maybe that might be why it could potentially work better than right. Using, you know, uh, radio frequencies or something like that. I'm, I'm not too familiar with that. I like the idea of that because I think there's some weird things that happen in the paranormal that even though I'm not an expert in that field, I have experienced in the museum or seen things and and talked to people that have been in the museum that have had kind of experiences with electronics and stuff there. So I, I'm, that's pretty interesting to me to hear about that. Um, So I could believe that, that it could possibly be working just maybe not as well because it's, it's a, a more complex conversation. Yeah, I mean, I I guess I always sort of looked at that spirit box aspect as kind of just an advanced Ouija board in some aspects. Um, Are there, has there ever been like a debate or like an argument over Ouija specific stuff that's happened like within your museum? Like any, anyone like really passionate about a certain way or offended about something? Um, No, I mean... I get into a lot of weird conversations with like, I always hear about like new superstitions. Just when I thought I've heard like everyone, you know, from using it alone to uh, don't use it in a graveyard or saying goodbye. Some people will come and be like, Oh no. When you put the board away, you have to put it upside down. You have to take the planchette and have it in a total separate area. You have to have the glass eye removed from the planchette. So really, Oh, yeah. I start to hear a lot of different things like that. And I think that's cool. I think that's great, you know. But I'm always surprised when someone tells me something. I'm like, huh, never heard that one before. Um, But I I suppose I get people that are are very hardcore that, um, you know, that, that do consider it more of a doorway. That they're opening a door and that you could potentially trap something on this side of the board. So that would probably be one of the biggest ones where no matter if I try to talk it out with them and explain it to them or in a way, you know, if I have uh, opposing viewpoints, they won't budge on that. You know what I mean? That's the part where like, nope, no, it's a portal and you've trapped something and you can be followed by a demon for years after you use the board. It's interesting too, as, as you were even mentioning that some people say that you have to remove the glass eye from the plant. I didn't even realize that, the planchette necessarily had a glass eye on all of them. Although you, you mentioned that even if you kind of do it on pencil and paper, that counts. So I guess you don't need that glass eye. Is there a, is there like a set list of like the, like all the bells and whistles, right? So I would assume you've got like the planchette would be made out of some kind of nice wood. It would have an actual glass eye and not just a hole in the middle, right? The board would have, I don't know, like hand painted something on it. Are there like other bells and whistles that, people go really crazy about no i mean it it's it's so much personal preference you know over it and 
it's just, you know, like I have planchettes that don't have a hole in them whatsoever. You just use the point. That's what they, when they first came out, they used. Mm. And people, some people today are totally confused when they see that. They're like, well, how did it work? And I'd be like, well, you look at the point. But they're so used to only seeing the hole in the planchette today, you know, in the center. Um, so, you know, it's it's really across the board as to how people view the board going to work best for them. So what rules would you follow if you were if you were to go and do this thing? Let's say it's, you know, in five years from now, just to put it far enough away that you can be a little bit abstract about it. But like, are you not doing it alone? Like you said, you've got a friend to do it with. Are you going to like, would you absolutely have to say goodbye before it was over or no? So what no, what no. rules would you follow or not follow? I don't think there's really any set rule. I mean, I I would be using it with my friend. Karen, not because I'm nervous to use it by myself. I just think it's going to work better with her because she's had so much experience with it. So the superstition of using it alone is not something I'm doing it because of that. Um, but saying goodbye, I always make the joke. I'm like, well, I don't say goodbye to most people I talk to every day. Plenty of people leave the museum. Uh, so I don't believe I would need to say goodbye on a board. So really, I can't think of anything, any rule I would say or, or want to do, it would just be a matter of, I would take the board out and whatever Karen uh, was using to set the intent or whatever it is that she does, um, kind of following along with that. And then just using her as uh, somebody that would help me uh, go through a conversation, you know, to try to, to have a conversation with it. Um, but no, I mean, what I like about the Ouija board is that so many people do have rules about how they work or you know what's going to make it work best for them and i don't know i mean you know you put 10 people in a room you'll probably get you know 20 different uh things from each other about, about someone viewing it differently than the other person so correct correct me if if i'm reading into this it sounds like the a bad experience for the Ouija board for you might just be something that doesn't live up to expectations, not necessarily like you invited a demon in and you can't get him out of your house and now you're haunted forever. Or like what like what would be the the reason that you would want to do it with a friend and make sure you have a good experience? Like what's the definition of say a bad experience? Is it just yeah a boring one or does something happen? No, I mean, for, for me, a, a bad experience would be trying to use it and nothing happening whatsoever. I mean, if something bad, if I was talking to something bad, I would think that's pretty freaking cool. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> if, if something more than, than what I expected uh, happened, I would think that's a, a pretty great thing. But to me, using it and having nothing happen you know or gibberish words that don't make sense or just not moving at all that would be my greatest fear which is why i haven't used them uh after inheriting my grandmother's board is that i'm so nervous it's just not going to work is i mean you've got a i'm assuming you've seen lots and lots of naysayers that come through too do you think that you have to believe that it'll work in order for it to work regardless or do you think that there's a chance that like a complete, you know, atheist, skeptical naysayer could sit down and and change their mind based on a, an experience. 
I think, uh, I think that, uh, you know, you should try to be open to the fact that something's going to happen, but if you're not and you're using it, you know, you're using it with somebody else. Uh, I think you can maybe be persuaded to, to, you know, believe in them a little bit more than you might've, um, but I think being open to it, just something happening, whether, however you want to explain it, that's probably the, the most important part of it. All right. I just, I want to cut to this just because I want to make sure we've got enough time to talk about it. But when I, when I went and actually saw you had some props from the Witchboard series and I just, I had to just mention, that's like my absolute, out of all the movies about Ouija boards or witch boards or anything, the Witchboard series is by far and away my favorite one. And I feel like we maybe bonded over that as 100%. well because, so I mean, can you just tell me what, what is it about the Witchboard series for you? If you were to pitch someone out of the 300 plus or thousands of movies out there about Ouija, why would it be the Witchboard series that you should start with? For me, I mean, who isn't a fan a fan of 80s horror movies? That's number one. Uh, okay. Number two, it's it's really the first movie that made the Ouija board the star of the film. And, you know, unlike, you know, The Exorcist, 13 Ghosts, these little scenes with the Ouija board, everything is happening around the Ouija board. And so 80s horror movie, but, you know, Tawny Katane, which, you know, I'm in that age group where I grew up with her in Bachelor Party and White Snake videos and stuff like that. So the fact that she's the star of it, you know, holds a certain place in my heart as well. And um, I just think, it, I think it's just, a, it's just because it's probably the first movie to make the Ouija board the star. I agree with that one. I'll, I'll throw a couple other into the mix too, is that it's the first movie that I, I guess I saw. So a little bit of bias there, but that, clearly explained all of the rules of the Ouija board and took them seriously yeah. and didn't just like this because almost every time they mention it, it's usually a trope where it's like, Oh cool. There's a, you know, there's this list of rules and they're like, Oh, we don't need to read those, put that away. And it's kind of <laughs> foreshadows that it's going to go wrong. Right. But this one, they actually step through bit by bit. Um, they do take it quite seriously. And again, like they're right after my heart with the practical effects. They just they hit this sweet spot of 80s cheese, but the practical effects were maybe better than the I want to say the writing was bad, but the effects were like better than the movie deserved them to be on some levels. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, it's it, it was like a perfect storm of, you know, all the uh, things that could have been bad, like were fine. Like it was fine that it was a little bit cheesy. It was fine that the acting might not have like won immediate awards, but it's it's timeless. So I also want to ask, why do you think that uh, Witchboard isn't coming up as often? You know, if someone was like, list your top 20, you know, I almost never heard anyone mention Witchboard in there. Hmm. I don't, I don't know. I think it, it flies under the radar in the sense that, like, you know, it's the Ouija board is not like a, a super popular uh, not villain, but like, you know, people are thinking of horror movies are thinking of like a Jason or Freddy, things like that. And not necessarily thinking of a Ouija board as that. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, I'm, I'm okay with that too. Like, you know, I like that when I meet someone that loves witch board like you, it's like, Oh no, we can bond about it. You know, if everyone liked it, it's like the Ouija board itself, you know, it's not so cool. So I like the, I like the fact that, you know, some people have to be schooled on it. Some people have to go and, and hear about it, see it at the museum, and then go looking for it, and then kind of get into it. 
Um, but yeah, I'm not really sure why it doesn't make it to to more people's lists. Um, to me, it's one it's it's one of my favorite movies. So. Uh, before you had your spot now in downtown, you said you've been there for about four years. Like, what was going on before that? Did you have a different spot? Was it just all run out of your your own storage? Like, personally? Like, what was the evolution to where you got here? The, the evolution was, you know, an obsess- being a, an obsessed collector. And, um, you know, eventually, my house, you can kind of see where I'm at now. This is the Halloween room, and Every room in my house is themed, you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken, dining room, and uh, tiki room, and all this stuff. And uh, we so, can- so this isn't set up just for the month of October. Like well, this, this is, is- year round. This is year round, and this is. Very- <laughs> I love that. Okay. Yeah, and it's it's a pretty good sized room, packed with stuff, and it goes into the garage, two car garage that's packed with masks and blow molds <laughs> and as much Halloween stuff as you can imagine, vintage Halloween stuff as you can imagine. That's what I've collected, and there's. Very few things that I I still collect for Halloween because I've gotten it. (laughs) Anything I really wanted. Um, But uh, Ouija boards have been an obsession of mine since I inherited my grandmother's in the late 90s. And bought every single one that I could. And really, I don't know what happened, but a couple years into collecting, something just snapped with me in the sense that I was more obsessed than the average collector. And so today, you know, I've get in a car within two hours and drive 21 hours straight to Florida to buy boards, go to California within 48 hours to buy boards. So very obsessed uh, collector to get them. So the basement of my house, I had, you know, had them all on display and um, people would write to me and be like, Oh, Hey, I know you have Ouija boards. Could I come get like a private tour? Could I do that? And so, you know, by word of mouth or by, friend of friend, you know, people I felt comfortable having in my house, strangers, uh, you know, I kind of set up the basement to be able to, to do that. And then for about 10 years, I, I always had the dream of trying to do a museum. And I knew Salem would be the place I'd want to do that because it, the tourists are there all year round. And like I said, it was made there. So there's the history. Um, so my friend Merch and I, we would go to Salem every weekend and just kind of hit the bricks and look for space. And nothing was ever the right place. And for me, you know, I've worked a job for, you know, at that point, I'd I'd worked it for 15 years, you know, 10, 15 years. And it's a little uh, nerve wracking to be like, oh, I'm going to leave my job to go open a Ouija museum. You know, it's a pretty big uh, uh, risk. And so it wasn't until two things happened. Uh, One was uh, I did an exhibit at the Satanic Temple roughly six years ago. And uh, we were raising money, the, the Talking Board Historical Society, this registered nonprofit that I'm part of, we were raising money to put a headstone in for a woman named Helen Peters. She had named the Ouija board and um, she was buried in an unmarked grave. And so I really wanted to do something to help raise money. And I left my comfort zone. I, I uh, did an exhibit there with a lecture with my friend Calvin. And um, even though I was never really a public speaker, uh, did this did this to raise money. and. The exhibit was pretty successful. It kept staying up month after month. And um, that's when I realized, like, oh, I guess there's people interested in this, not just me and my my weird friends. Um, I had traveled up to California. There's a museum out there in Burbank called the Mystic Museum. And they do some really amazing events there. They do um, Slashback Video, which is basically an 80s 
horror VHS rental store. Um, they've done, they've worked lots of different movies like Evil Dead to uh, George Barris to, you know, Anton LaVey exhibits. And um, when I went there, uh, I had sold them some Ouija boards over the years. And um, they're like, oh, you can pay this small fee and kind of go in the back room and look at our personal collection. And when I did that, I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. It was a self-guided tour. But I was looking at boards that I had sold them. And I was like, wait a minute. I just paid money to look at stuff that like, <laughs> I have way better stuff than this. And that's when my business model changed a little bit. Cause I was like, wait, I don't need to be on the store on the street. I can be in the back room of a, a, a an existing business. And if it's a self-guided tour, I don't need to leave my job right away. And so that's kind of when, once that business model changed and I had to go, I was looking for a space of an existing business. I found this, uh, you know, the space that I'm in now. So um, I'm on Essex Street, which is the busiest street in Salem, but I'm in the back of a store called Remember Salem. And that store is, was known mostly as a Harry Potter store, licensed merchandise that you went through the store and then paid the, uh, the person at the register and they allowed you into the museum. And for the first three years of the museum, you know, I worked my day job and then went there and was there as much as I possibly could be you know, seven days a week, but, you know, only from like the late afternoon on. And then a year ago, I left my job of 22 years. And so this is all I do now. It's just to be at the the Ouija Museum talking about Ouija boards all day. So it really evolved from the Satan Temple and the Mystic Museum experiences. Do you ever, do you ever miss having a regular job or like, no, never? Not really. No. I mean, I'm really happy what I do. Uh, you know, it's a pretty amazing experience because I meet people who, you know, I love to travel. So I get meet people that have, you know, traveled to get there and um, are usually on a road trip or things like that. So I have some really great, amazing conversations with people. And I just love talking about Ouija boards. So I don't miss, uh, I don't miss working there. I miss the person I worked for. My old boss was a really great guy who, really made it easy for me to transition out of there to have this museum because, you know, he basically was like, you'll always have, I worked with him for, for so long. He's like, you'll always have a job here. So to me, there was very little risk that even if I went to the museum full time and it didn't work out for me, I could always fall back there. Yeah. That's nice. You can take a little bit more of a risk than, than normal, maybe. Exactly. And so, you know, I, I miss, you know, those kind of friendships that I had there. I mean, when you work with someone for 20 years, you know, you have a special friendship there. Um, but I certainly don't miss um, most of the stuff I did for the job. But I, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, the, 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 the trauma bonding is fun, but the trauma that you need to get to the bonding part, maybe not so fun. What's exactly. the next step? Like, like you, you mentioned now, you're kind of in like a spot and man, it, uh, I don't want because because you live in the area, so I don't want to throw shade on any particular shops. But I was astounded at like every other shop in downtown Salem was just like reselling Harry Potter wands that they get from like AliExpress. Anyways, um, it was it was wild to see how much of that Harry Potter stuff. What would be the next step for you? Is it like you know having like more space, better location? Like you know what what would be the the Salem Witchboard Museum 2.0 if you know you just kept exploding. I mean, 
the Salem location, I like the size of it. I like the fact that it's in this back of the other store. It's a really great business relationship that I have with them and their staff. And so I like that it's small enough that I can rotate things through. I have a large collection. My friend Merch, who curates for the museum as well, we can kind of do different exhibits and never really repeat each other for a long time, you know? How much stuff are you hiding? Like like if, if someone were to go in today, right? Like how much percentage-wise are they seeing of the collection in, in that spot? I mean, just of my collection, they're seeing uh, less than a third of it for sure. Right. And merch, they're probably seeing less than a tenth of his. Because <laughs> so, I assume that you could probably like be in a space four times the size and still not even show half of the stuff that you've got, right? Oh, is that So is yeah. that just to make it easier to cycle through so that there's always a reason to keep going back and seeing new stuff? Well, for me, it, it makes it interesting because I can kind of rotate things through, tell different stories, which is what I like to do. But the average person coming into the museum, they're not going to want to listen to four hours of Ouija history. You know what I mean? <laughs> so you know, yeah, what I give them is a nice balance. What I try to give them is a nice balance of, you know, the beginning, uh, where we are today. And, you know, spookier stories because we're in Salem and, and people are kind of expecting that kind of stuff. And certainly the pop culture influence of the board. Um, so I like it that I can talk about different things because some people, you know, they if, if they really want to nerd out, they'll spend 45 minutes at that first case just talking about the spiritualist movement and, you know, not even going any further than that. So I like that I can have these conversations with people and kind of bounce around. Uh, so I'm really happy with Salem and not really looking to, to change that at all. Um, but I am going to open up uh, a few other locations, um, like satellite locations. Uh, the next one will be in Baltimore, and that's going to probably happen in the beginning of the year. Um, I gotta Now that October finished in Salem, I can kind of put my energy into it. Um, so that would be the next thing to do. Um, so for the for museum itself salem pretty much just staying where i am is it was so that's always going to be the flagship salem yeah. will be the flagship and then you'll have some satellites exactly because i think what i've learned with the museum is is you know people want to hear stories from me a lot of times they want to they want to you know they can read the sign or they can scan a code or something like that but when you get to hear it directly from a person who can then follow up with when you have a question, be like, well, wait, how did you find that out? And I can tell you the six years that was spent, you know, how it was spent finding that, that information out. I think that always makes it a, a better experience for people. So the other locations that I do, you know, would be a live person from time to time, but a predominantly, uh, you know, a QR code, um, you know, using your phone uh, to go through, which, you know, that, we can do a different experience there because in you know Salem it's a it's a smaller museum, so I can't have a bunch of video screens, I can't have a bunch of people on their phones like listening at volumes. But in these other locations where the traffic won't be as heavy, uh, you can do that. And I think that's a good opportunity to get into some real videos, again, some audio uh from a lot of the original people that we're we're talking about here, the families of those people. And so getting those, those, those stories that aren't very well recorded. 
Is there a difference between East Coast and West Coast Ouija? Because <laughs> I'm just thinking we, we were talking about Boston and Baltimore. Um, like, is there different perceptions or is there just like a different level of how much people care about Ouija? Or is it, is it like a nationwide ubiquitous thing? Well, I mean, for Baltimore specifically, I think the way I'm envisioning the museum is a very Baltimore history driven museum. You know, the Ouija board was first mass produced there. And so there's just so much history there. And so the museum, although it's Ouija boards, I think a lot of it is, I think of it more as Baltimore history. And so I think that's a big draw as people that maybe weren't so interested in the Ouija board might be interested in being like, huh, here's this weird little part of Baltimore history that I never knew. And then kind of get into it that way. Um, but as far as like an East Coast or West Coast, no, I don't, I don't see that. I think that, um, you know, do something on the West Coast. Obviously, I would do something very, uh, you know, movie and television drawn, you know, based um, because that could be a museum just in itself. The amount of stuff that we have. What if what if this were like uh, I'm just having fun now, but like what if this were in like South Texas or something? What would be the Ouija theme in, in like the, the South? Uh, I would I would probably go with, you know, true crime or paranormal stories there. How would true crime weave itself into Ouija? Have there have has Ouija ever been used in like successful crime investigations that you know of? Oh no, I'm I'm talking well, uh, I'm talking about like murder and suicide because of the Ouija board. Yeah, so true crime in that sense. Well, when you say murder because of Ouija board, are there actual cases where Ouija board was like a catalyst in a murder? A whole lot of them, yeah. yeah not just, not just paper cuts. So, so what are what are some of those? I mean, I, we don't have to go through the entire list, but I, I've never heard that there's actual like Ouija related murders before. Well, I mean, I'll, the first one, um, the first murder associated with the Ouija board, it's from 1933, and it happened in Arizona. And a mother and daughter were using the Ouija board together. The board spelled out the message, "Daddy must die." And the daughter asked the Ouija board, well, who must kill him? Mommy. And the board spelled back the initials MT for the daughter, Maddie Turley. Uh, she took a shotgun, shot her father in the back. When the police investigated, uh, she said it was an accident. She tripped and she fell. But uh, the police knew that the projectile, the bullet was, you know, higher and not down low. Uh, when they investigated, they found out they'd used the Ouija board together. The girl confessed. She said, you know, when the Ouija compels, it must be obeyed. They investigate the mother. They find out that she had been talking to the ranch hand next door, maybe implying that there was an affair going on and that she had pushed the planchette to spell the message for the daughter. So uh, that's considered the first Ouija murder, whether it's because the Ouija board told the daughter to do it or because the mother was pushing the planchette. You know, that, that is a, a story that happened with the Ouija board in the headlines. Or the 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 mom just stumbled upon MK Ultra programming like homegrown <laughs> style, right? <laughs> Absolutely. So you know those stories they 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 happened from the very beginning. There's a suicide by 1900 in Connecticut where the woman was consumed by the messages that she was getting from the board. She wanted to find out for herself where the messages were coming from. She took strychnine. She poisoned herself to get to the other side of the board. Um, so they you know they, they go hand in hand. You know, and then what? <laughs> Did, did it work? Did it work? 
Well, I don't know if anyone's heard from her since, but I mean, <laughs> she's not with us or she, you know, she did die because of that, you know? Um, are there, are there any like heartwarming, like endearing Ouija board stories? Like, cause I, I guess I'm always imagining it's people talking to ghosts and demons come in and like horrible things happen, but have there been like lottery winners that credited the Ouija board? Have there been like marriages that happen over the Ouija board? Well, I mean, I hear, and so my story I can tell you is um, the board did not work well for my mother uh, like it did for my grandmother. Uh, when my mother and her girlfriend, Linda, when they were 12 years old, they used the Ouija board with my grandmother. The board accurately predicted both of their future husbands' names, uh, Lawrence and Dennis. So my mother, it was her second husband, but they did marry eventually who the Ouija board uh, told them they would marry. So, and I've actually heard quite a few stories similar to that, where people have told me that the Ouija board would actually predict who they would marry. Um, so those have happened. I can't say the lottery that anyone's won the lottery, but um, a heartwarming story to me would be, you know, the reason why the board exists is that it's meant to help you find comfort and closure, you know, during that wartime. Uh, about a year ago, I had a woman from New Zealand that came to the museum. And she had lost her son about six years ago now. And she used the Ouija board to communicate with him. And she stayed at the museum for a few hours, maybe two to three hours, just telling me about the conversation she was having and, and what, you know, what that meant to her to be able to do. You know, for her, I don't, I, I hate to imagine the grieving that she had losing her son, but, you know, knowing that she was getting something from the board that was helping her in a small way was was pretty nice to know. So to me, that's a heartwarming, and that's a story I don't hear very often. You know, like you, most of the stories I'm hearing are, you know, hey, I got a Ouija board. Let's go into a haunted house. Let's go to a cemetery, or you know, let's do this. And you know, you tend to get more one and done. People use the Ouija board, got the got the uh, the confirmation they were looking for, and then never wanted to touch the Ouija board again. Um, so a good story would be using it the way it was intended which doesn't happen very often. Do you think in the paranormal sense, this, the, the, let me first like paint the excuse first, but like Bigfoot knows that you've got a camera. So he disappears. Or um, if you get a picture of aliens, then the men in black or their technology, you know, zaps your memory card. So that like, there's always a reason why certain phenomenon is just never caught on camera. It's never live streamed on like a Twitch channel. Do you, is there something that's ever come up of like, if you've got, you know, like 20 different cameras point at the Ouija board and magnetic sensors and like everything's decked up in like a science lab. Do you think any of that would, you know, make it work less? Do you think it would like not be as enticing for spirits to operate with it? Is it like a double slit experiment? I'm not, I'm not sure. I mean, I think, you know, scientists have studied it enough that, um, for them, they just think it's it's idiomotor effect, your subconscious and that muscle memory, and that's really how it's working. But if you talk to anyone who's ever used the Ouija board, and you might not believe that things are possible about moving around the room or lights flickering or things like that, but you ask anyone their Ouija story, I've never heard a story where I thought that person was lying to me. So I believe they believe they've experienced whatever those things are. And um you know, I don't, I don't know if any kind of test to seeing if it happened for other people to witness it, it would change 
those people telling you that it still happened. Uh, I'm, I'm st- I really love the idea that you could just use pencil and paper and it'd be just as valid. Um, if we push that towards like the other end of that spectrum, right? Like, what if it's you have your hand on a mouse and it's hovering over like a digital, you know, image that you you pulled up online? Is there is like would that be less viable as a Ouija board, or is that just as you know valid as having one physically in front of you? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It all depends. I mean, the technology. Or like, part what about an iPad? Right. Board. There's got to be an iPad Ouija board app. I'm sure there is, right? Mm. Do you think that would be as valid? I I, I don't know. I mean, I, I depends on if you know. I don't know. I've never really thought of that before. Um, I suppose it could be. Yeah. Have you thought about the implications of say like artificial intelligence and Ouija? Has that come up in? And people, you know, coming through and just throwing ideas out. It just did last weekend, actually. Um, after Hasbro reached out and um, uh, Merch and I consulted with them because they launched a um, an, uh, an AI Ouija board on Ouija.com. And um, we kind of helped, you know, uh, test it a little bit and give our feedback for it. And um it was pretty crazy, you know, all this stuff that, you know, it, it, how it gets that information really quick. And, um, you know, we asked certain questions and, and it came up with those answers, you know. Um, I think the more, the more it gets fed over time, the more accurate and the more, you know, um, the more it'll be used. When you say accurate, are we talking accuracy as in it's actually facilitating communication with another realm or accurate in just that you can ask it trivia and it figures out stuff? Well, I mean, for us, you know, we asked it, uh, we asked it like, you know, um, things we knew the answer to, to see Mm -hmm. what would happen, of course. And uh, that was, those questions were accurate. Um, But when they launched it, we had people asking questions um, about their relatives or things like that, that maybe it couldn't possibly know. And it was coming back with answers that people felt were connected and true to what they were asking. How much do you think the person involved has an effect on that? Like, what if, what if it were an AI program generated to ask questions that a person would ask, and then that gets fed into the Ouija? Like, could, could it just be, all be computers and still be working? Or do you think that like a human being has to be involved at some point? That's the scary thing about AI. I, I, I don't think humans have to be involved, you know, um, to it. Yeah, I, I think that uh, it's it's hard to say, you know, but right now I, I would say that um, with AI, um, you don't know. It's just like, the, just like the where the messages are coming from now, you know, you don't really know exactly. So we could uh, discount the subjective or like subconscious effect, right? Like you would, I mean, I guess I might be wrong, but you would assume that if you had like an AI that had robot arms that could use the planchette, it wouldn't be thinking about, oh, I really want to move it over here to the R. Um, Like if it actually moved around, it almost feels like that would be slightly more onto like the objective proof side. I don't know. Would like, cause, cause now the psychologist, what would a psychologist say about that? Like we're not even talking about the human brain anymore, right? Yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. Um, 
where this is going and, and how it can be used. But I mean, also, you know, the person interpreting the answers, the results, you know, it's where they are too, because, you know, sometimes I hear people tell me like, uh, you know, they get, they get a response and they're like, and they look at it as what the Ouija predicted, or I'm sorry, the Ouija caused. And I look at it as like, well, the Ouija predicted that it doesn't mean it caused it. So, you know, I think, you know, also the way you interpret that experience it has a lot to do with what actually happened as well. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, there would still always at some point be a human element, exactly. even if it's just the final step of someone interpreting what they're seeing. Correct. Yeah. So how, how close or far away do you see as Ouija from say like reading tea lives or tea leaves or coffee grounds or, you know, languages of the birds? Are these all the same thing, just different tools? Or do you think these are all distinct things? I mean, I think that all right, I, I consider them all the same. It's just personal preference as to which one you put more, um, you know, not necessarily belief, but more uh, what you feel most comfortable using, you know. Um, but I think any of those fortune telling or any kind of um, divination tools, they're, they're pretty much all the same. It's just really a, a, a what works best for you to use. Have there been any like unattainable Ouija board items or Ouija boards themselves that that are either lost to time or or just like in private collections that you want to get your hands on? Like anything in like specific? Oh yeah, I mean my list doesn't end. So uh, even though I I recently got the Grail item that I had hunted for for pretty close to twenty years, uh, a planchette that I had been looking for for a board, um, there are plenty of things, especially historic pieces. Um, Grover Cleveland, who was the only president to be married in the White House, he was gifted a witch board as a wedding present in 1886. And back then, there were no presidential libraries. So to be able to find that board, to me, would be pretty amazing because not just the historic significance of a president owning it, but I actually believe that my grandmother, whose board I inherited, I'm... I believe that she may have used that board to learn how to use the Ouija board on. So oh, wow. uh, there's a little personal connection as well. But even if it's not just the historic part that it's a it's a board that was gifted to a president, it made uh, the newspapers, the Boston Globe wrote about it in, 80, in 1886. And so um, that would be something that's pretty high on my list to at least, even if I don't find it to own it, just to see what it actually looked like. Because 1886 is four years before Ouija the brand existed. And, um, you know, I think some of us have ideas as to what it might look like, and it would be pretty interesting to know if we're right or not in that way. Before Ouija as a brand existed, would a Ouija board be something a kid would be playing with, or was it for like adults and occultists only? Um, mostly, mostly adults. You're talking, you know, just post civil war at that point when they really come together. And, you know, people reaching out specifically uh, for the person that they lost during the war. Um, you know, it gets patented as a game in 1890. So there is element of, of kids using it. And you'll see in the museum where there's like, you know, Valentine's Day cards and kids using it and stuff like that. So it was just viewed differently than today. Um, but I'd say the majority were adults using it and kids watching. Has it been uh, banned or made illegal anywhere in the country? 
The only place that it was for sure was they tried to ban it was back in 1920 in El Cerrito, California. Uh, there were 11 people. The, the town tried to ban the Ouija board. Uh, 11 people were driven insane by using it. They were committed to a mental institution, and the city tried to, to ban the Ouija board. It was unsuccessful, but that's the only place that I've seen it actually, you know, uh, gone that far. Hmm. Yeah, you'll, you'll Are there like smaller churches and things like that where they call for banning Ouija boards, but as far as like, you know, an actual town or, or something like uh, bigger than just a, a church asking, that would that would be the example. Are there any like modern high end Ouija boards that are like being produced and in demand, or is it pretty much all like antiques that people are looking for? Well, I mean, right right around right now, um, they just released a, a Wednesday board, a board based on the TV show from Wednesday. So you know that is the Ouija brand. It's not like the Elvira board or the Halloween three board that were made by other companies who um, have licensing for those characters. The Ouija brand, yeah, they 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 um, they just produced a Wednesday board. So I would imagine that's going to be a pretty popular board. Speaking of weird uh, Ouija crossovers, when I was there, I also asked you about the Barbie board, but it sounds like the Barbie board might have just been like a custom made thing on like an Etsy shop or like a meme. Uh, is, is that, am I getting that one correct? No, absolutely. I mean, in the museum, there's a pink Ouija that was made by Hasbro in 2008. That was a real product that um, came with a pink carrying case and these little suggestion cards. Um, on Etsy, someone sells one with a, a they call it the Barbie board and it's the size of what a Barbie doll would use. It's got the Barbie logo on it. But that's not a licensed product. It's more of an artist just making it and, and selling it on Etsy. So to the purists, the Wednesday board would work, but the Barbie board wouldn't, only because the Barbie board wasn't properly licensed through the channels that apparently, like, you know, in the spirit world, they still really give a lot of credit towards intellectual property rights. So that's that's kind of cool. Yeah, I, I mean, like I said, I hear something new about the Ouija board all the time. And those kind of beliefs, uh, I like to hear where their line is. I'm like, nope, not going to work for me. It's not a real Ouija. All right. Well, we're just going to cut right into this next little segment, and it's going to be a surprise. Let's do hey, it. Hey, conspiracy buffs, I double dare you to take some PCP, the Paranormal Conspiracy Probe. On your marks, get set, and go. Okay, here's the rules. Zero to ten. Zero means you don't believe. Ten means you do believe. And you can figure out all the math in between. It's not too hard. Um, and and this is kind of inspired too by you were we were talking about is it all the same if you're using like this divination tool or this divination tool? Maybe it's all the same thing. They're just different tools. So with that in mind, zero to ten is Bigfoot real. Oh wait, what's the yeah? What I was gonna make sure. I'm, if you, I was gonna say if it's Ouija stuff, I just want to make sure. Are we going with my true beliefs or what other people believe? Oh, yeah, this is your true belief. Everything right. here is going to be your true belief. So Bigfoot, zero to ten. Um, ever existing, five. Okay, Bigfoot existing since the seventies till now. Zero. Aliens, specifically, like you know, flying saucer, UFO abduction, aliens, like coming to Earth. And coming to yeah, coming to Earth and people. and phrasing people. Uh, I'd say about a six. 
Satanists summoning demons. And I don't mean like, you know, the Temple of Satan or like the litigious ones, but like, um, I don't know. Uh, I don't even want to say LeVay because maybe LeVay is like more of a performant version, but like a legitimate murderous satanic cult summoning demons into the planet. People that believe they're Satanists are killing based on that? Chan. Uh, well, no, okay. Summoning legitimate demons, though, like someone oh, sorry, like sorry. summons Azazel and he actually oh. shows up. Well, see, I say a zero, but do I believe they're really doing a demon? Yes, so I do believe that, but I don't believe that. No, they're not summoning demons. Is magic real at all? Illusion. Yeah. Uh, sorry, magic. Do you think magic's real? Did you did you get me on that one? Yeah, I heard magic being real. Um, yeah. No, it's not real. So is it like a straight up zero? That's a straight up zero. Okay. Um, well, I mean, again, we can analyze any of these things because well, we will. Don't worry. You know, we'll, we're going to go into some of these. Real, yeah. You'll, we'll get we'll get a chance to pick some of these apart. I, this is like just getting us like a litmus test. Right. We'll we'll go through. Um, right. Do you think that there is a modern day Illuminati or you know New World Order? Is there like a small group of people like running the entire planet? Uh, I lean towards a six on that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was a lone wolf. Um, uh, I'd say zero. The CIA was behind JFK. Uh, I, I'd, I'd put that around a seven. Okay. Freemasonic r- ritual was behind JFK assassination. Uh, maybe like a four. Dinosaurs. Oh, 10. Dragons. 10. Okay, we're, we're definitely going to go into the dinosaurs and dragons a little bit more. Um, and then I just, I guess I had, I, th- I, I assume that I know the answer to some of these because you already answered kind of like, you know, people summoning an actual demon would be zero and whatnot. Um, so what about like the the world of Atlantis? Do you think Atlantis was ever a real thing or was it all purely, you know, metaphorical? I can hear I can hear you typing. Yeah, I'm trying to get the fucking picture back on. Oh. Here we go. Jesus Christ. Stupid technology. Is, are the spirits in the room with us now? <laughs> Maybe. I feel as though I'm at the museum where technology doesn't work very well. <laughs> is is there something about Boston that that makes it uh, technology not work great, or is it just because like all the wiring is old? <laughs> it may, it may, <laughs> I'm not sure what it is. It's just it's a void. So let, let let me ask you the last one. Um, I was asking you about Atlantis, zero to ten, but I've got a final one after that. Um, I, I lean more towards like a, a six or a seven on Atlantis existing. Okay, and ghosts. Um, that's a good, I don't know. I guess I would probably say that, uh, 
I'd say a five. All right, let's let's work work our way backwards. We'll get to some of the zeros and stuff that you said too. But if we, if we go with ghosts, because you because it sounds like pretty adamant about demons. You know, like demons is silly. Ghosts might be a five though. So, like, is a is there a difference between a malevolent ghost and a demon in your mind? Well, I'm thinking like a ghost. You know, I don't know. I'm just speculating here. But a ghost, what people might consider to be a ghost would be, you know, some kind of um, different dimension or some kind of like, you know, it's here, somehow crossing through in that way. Okay. And you gave a similar, maybe low, middle of the line score for Bigfoot, uh, just in general. Uh, And it was a little bit lower when I said like within the last, you know, since the 70s, you're like, oh, zero. Um, But I've heard some people kind of refer to Bigfoot and aliens and ghosts all as being these different perspectives, like someone that really wants to believe in Bigfoot and see something supernatural, they say Bigfoot, or someone that believes in ghosts and they see something supernatural, to them it's a ghost. But that there might be crossover specifically because in the 70s and later, there were so many corresponding Bigfoot and UFO sightings that led to speculation that maybe it's the same thing and just like different ways of looking at it. So, and this is uh, like, I don't even have a dog in this fight, but it's a fascinating aspect where you might have someone that's like really into spiritualism and, and ghosts and like, you know, Ouija boards. um, But then they won't give as much credit to say Bigfoot researchers. And then the same thing, Bigfoot researchers don't care as much about alien researchers. Um, but it might all be like just, you know, paranormal phenomena being, I don't know, any, any thoughts on any of that? It wasn't a specific question. Well, I, I agree with you. I know that there, there can be some people that might believe in one and not the other or something like that. And I get that part of it in the sense that, you know, to me, it's, it's all the same in the sense that it's all belief right now. There's no proof of any of that stuff. So you know, it's your belief that these things are out there. Um, but I look at it like sort of like religion, like it's all faith-based, you know, I mean, it's all, no one's is any better than the other because it's all, you have to believe in it to begin with, you know, uh, to make, to, to make it seem real. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think that you're, you're probably onto something in the sense that uh, all this unexplained stuff could be connected in some way. All right. So, so I get a five ish for, for ghosts, however you want to interpret that. We don't have to pin it down, but then we get a 10 for dinosaurs and a 10 for dragons. So I want to just uh, sort of, you know, make all of that make sense to me. So first of all, when you, when you immediately want to say 10 for dinosaurs, what's the first thing going through your mind? Um, uh, if someone's like, are dinosaurs real? Well, I mean, there's there's obviously museums with dinosaur bones in them, you know. Um, so I believe that dinosaurs existed. I believe that dinosaurs uh, roamed the earth. Yeah. Okay, and and just to be clear, I guess some of the conspiracy theories are that the bones were real, but that the you know the scientists, the archaeologists finding the stuff were just kind of uh, putting it together like janky homemade Lego sets, and were like, this is the you know such and such. This is the Triceratops. Um, but that none of them were actually real and they were just various bones amalgamated and then sold to museums as some kind of Ponzi scheme, I guess. I don't know. So 
What about dragons, though? Because dragons don't have that same, you know, museum aspect, unless we're talking about, I guess, medieval and ancient artwork. Or is is that basically the proof for dragons? Well, I mean, right away, when you're saying dragon, I am in either a kimono dragon or something like that. Where those okay, no, okay. So to be specific, I mean, like a fire-breathing flying dragon, like actually breathing fire. Yeah, no, I, I don't think those existed. Zero. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, no, it's, it's a fair point, you know, and if I said monster, there's Gia monsters and stuff, so technically uh, the, the things out there really do exist. And then yeah. you were you were uh, clarifying on magic, and I was, and I want to give you a better chance to maybe follow that up because it was like, is magic real? And I know how vague that is. I just want to see, you know, where you're at from zero to ten, and then we can get into it. Well, magic. I mean, to me, magic is Penn and Teller. They're doing magic, but magic is not real in the sense that they're not really, you know, uh, the illusion. It's an illusion. It's not that it's a. Uh, you know, somehow really disappearing and coming back, you know, uh, you're making it believe that it is. Um, if you're saying magic beyond that, like where I am in Salem, where people believe in magic, that they're practicing, um, magic people there certainly believe it. Um, but I suppose if you manifest it yourself, you believe that's working or that's what it's called. Then absolutely. But for me, no, I, I don't believe I can, um, I don't know make up some potion or something like that. And I don't even know what the fuck I'm saying. I don't know. <laughs> would, would you consider yourself a, like a skeptic within the context of the, the people that, you know, would come into the shop? I, well, with Ouija boards, I mean, I try to really play both sides. I like to hear people that are skeptics and I like to hear people that are true believers. And ultimately, to me, it doesn't matter what I believe because it's not going to change anyone's view on what they believe about the Ouija board. And so I don't like to influence people in any way uh, with that. I like to have conversations, but I, I really like to try to have both, both points taken, you know? So uh, I would call myself a skeptic in my personal life, you know, when I have to talk about a lot of things, because, you know, I don't just uh, automatically... Something move something something makes a noise in my house. I don't instantly go. That's a ghost doing that. You know, my first instinct is like, okay, what could that have been? You it know? was probably a Ouija board falling off of a shelf somewhere. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But there there are things that that do happen from time to time at the museum that I don't they have an explanation for. I couldn't tell you, you know, why uh, I see as many. You know, when I see people walk to certain items and are drawn to them. I didn't influence them. I didn't tell them any stories. Why did they walk to that item and tell me that's where they felt something? It's a board that was mm -hmm. donated. Why do they have a feeling that they're, why did they, you know, take photographs that like aren't coming out right? You know, they're blurry and things like that, that happen in the museum. And so I don't really have a set explanation. I just say, I'm not surprised when it happens, but, um, you know, uh, I think my first instinct is like, Oh, well, you were shaking your hand when you took the picture, but, when you see it hundreds of times, it just starts to think like, well, that's a pretty weird coincidence if that's what it is. If you're out hunting for Ouija boards and you're, you're out, you know, scouring the nation, you don't have to give away your, your best fishing spots or anything, but like what kind of things are you looking for? Like it, 
would it be viable to just pop open the sort of garage sales section or or just pop open eBay? Or is there something more specific about finding like a state sales or you know going to certain parts of the country? Uh, I mean, to to um, to me, it's always just about um, just talking to people. You know what I mean? You find more from talking to people than you do putting in windshield time and driving to all the places. You know, so I, I have more luck just having conversations with people, and it could be anyone. You know, I talk to everyone from the gas station attendant to an Uber driver. You know, people that have met me more than one time certainly know that I collect, and um, that's where some of the best stuff comes from. Are there any like really cool pop culture references that that go under the radar for stuff like Witchboard is definitely my favorite. You know, Ouija movie. Are there like Ouija cartoons or were there like Ouija songs that um that were really good? Like do you have any like personal favorites that that are worth looking into? I mean, songs are there. I mean we could we could talk for a long time just about music and the Ouija board, but I mean the big hit would probably be like Morrissey having the song called Ouija Board, Ouija Board. Um you know, but there were songs in the twenties that were written about there was over a dozen songs just in the nineteen twenties alone written all about the Ouija board. And, um, you know, even a band, a current band like Mars Volta, they claim to have written lyrics to one of their records all from using the Ouija board. Is it, is, is it still like, um, is that like a boomer thing? Is it like a grandma and grandpa thing? Or is, is there like a new wave, like a new generation of interest in Ouija boards that you've seen? Like do do kids come in and they're as fascinated, um, as you know, mom and dad and grandma and grandpa? I meet a lot of kids that come to the museum that want to use them. They've watched TikToks. They've watched, you know, paranormal shows on YouTube and stuff like that. And so, yeah, there's there's a pretty good interest in that stuff. You know, I like it when little kids come in because I like to try to get a gauge if like they're really scared or if they're not afraid. And if they're not afraid, I like to try to see if I can get them scared, you know. And uh, But I, I, I think that, you know, younger kids are definitely seeking it out. There's certainly the the curiosity because they know their parents had it and it was pretty uh, mainstream and widely available. And now they're kind of, you know, seeing, you know, as toy stores or depart, you know, stores are kind of closing, you don't see it on the shelf as much. So they see it in a video, whether it's a movie or a, a YouTube channel or something like that, where it's being used and like, well, wait, my parents use it. It's a real thing. And so um, I think there's a huge fascination with kids about it. When you say that that you see if you can like scare them over it, like what would what would be something that would you know get someone scared of a Ouija board? Would you just tell them a story, or is there like a like your go to? Oh well, I mean, depending on their age, usually I'll, I'll double check with the parents. Be like, do your kids like horror movies or anything? And if I go to true crime stuff, then yeah, I'll hit them with the suicide, hit them with the murders, that kind of stuff. And then the more recent stuff, where like you know uh, that has happened more recently. But some of the paranormal stuff, you know, uh, you know, boards that are in the museum that were donated because the previous owners had a bad experience with them. So just talking about board, you know, a, a, a Stranger Things board that's in the museum where it's a new board. And most people, when they think of haunted items, think of old items. And that was made in 2017. So just talking it, like, you know, telling the story kind of slow and listening to it like, well, they didn't put a return address on the package. They only put a note in the board. and just talking about so usually get an idea of the kids 
attention span and how much they're listening by uh, the faces they start making. And um, yeah, being able to tell a cool story like that and have them freak out. And then especially the paranormal stuff that people claim in the museum and then see them all of a sudden be like, my chest hurts too. My, you know, I'm, I'm, I can't be in this side of the room or, or things like that where they, you know, want to leave the, leave the museum because of the pressure they feel after I tell them the story. I love that. Are you ever going to have to make them sign a waiver on the way in just in case? Nah, no. I mean, I would, I, I think if they did, they would, they, you know, it's like a, like William Castle, you know what I mean? You sign this thing that I'm not responsible for anything. If you get a heart attack or something like that. I Maybe that you would... should. Yeah. Just like, Hey, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to tell you any of the worst stories, but things happen that, you know, I think that would scare people more. Um, Two years ago, the Talking Board Historical Society went to um, Michigan Paracon, which is the, the world's largest paranormal convention. And we had a room of just donated boards. Like, you know, all the boards that have been donated over the years, what the story was behind them, why they were donated. And we had people sign a piece of paper, uh, basically saying that we weren't, you know, responsible if, the, if anything followed them home, any demons or, you know, things like that. And for us, it was a way of getting their email address and, you know, being able to put them on a mailing list. But so many people at a paranormal convention where you think that they're open to that, they really want to have the experience of something happening. And that's why you investigate. And how many people would not go into that room? And so many people would not want to sign that waiver. And uh, so, yeah, I definitely that puts you in a different mindset going into that space. How much do you think that is? is like religious puritanism and stuff like is Ouija even compatible with uh, like a incredibly religious person in this country? I think a lot of people, you know, religion's a funny thing, man. You know what I mean? I think most people pick and choose what they like from the religion and don't necessarily follow. Yeah, what, which religion is the right one? What's that? Which religion is the right one? The right one? Yeah. Which one has it right? Oh, for me? Well, I mean, I get, I'm hoping you have the objective answer here. I don't want the subjective answer for a question this important. Yeah, I mean, for me, there's the zero religion is the right answer. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I don't, I think, you know, trying to say one religion is better than the other is pretty funny because, you know, they're all, they're all, you know, they all start the same, uh, way that you have to believe that something really crazy happened and no one else can believe it. You know, um, are there any more that are, are there any religions that are more or less compatible with Ouija from, you know, what you've experienced or is it all, you know, live in different realms? Um, I think that, uh, no, I think it lives in different, different realms and people grow up differently. You know what I mean? Some people are like real hardcore, you know, practicing, you know, devout Christians or something like that. And, uh, but other people weren't didn't grow up like that. But they have a, a relative who's just told them stay away from the Ouija board. And um, you know, like any kid who's told not to do something, I always laugh. I'm like, that's the sure way for that's the sure way to get them to actually use the Ouija board. Tell them not to do it. But um, yeah, I can't really say it's one religion more than another. But um, more just how you were raised. So um, we're, I want to wrap up here a little bit because we can keep, we could keep talking about, I would love to just go on like about Ouija related music or Ouija related pop culture stuff 
there was when I went to the museum, when you walk towards the the couch, you also have Ouija boards that are kind of plastered up on them, like the inside. Like you wouldn't even know they were there unless you poke your head in and you look up. And you had some like really wild, like psychedelic and 60s and 70s looking Ouija boards. Do you know which ones I'm talking about? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. What which which ones were back there, and why are they hidden away from the public? Are those like, you know, are those your favorites? Are the are those like the dangerous ones? No, they were. There was space in the museum, and I was like, I'm a maximist. If you could see the house, you would see there's almost no wall space here. <laughs> Everything is done, and with the museum, I run a fine line of like, I don't want, I want people to take stuff in and not just be like overloaded and not, you know, kind of realize what they're looking at um but there i felt was there was there was space that people sitting on the couch could look up and see it oh and right so right. there's a board uh from 1967 on the right on the when you're looking at it from the couch looking up and it, it's a it's called the tarot wheel and it has tarot cards around a circled alphabet and so that board i like it because it's kind of a dual purpose board you interpret you came on the booklet and you interpreted the cards uh, as well as the 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 talking board aspect of it. Uh, next to that is a board called the Mantic Message Mat, which is a, a large 24-inch circle. And it has a double alphabet on it. So when you're using it, um, it's not always upside down to the person you're using it with. And that one, you know, uh, ended up coming from uh, Geraldine Saunders, you know, the estate of Geraldine Saunders. She was the first female cruise ship director she wrote a book in the 70s called The Love Boat, which became the TV show. And um, very fascinating life. And so I like to kind of tell it's a really kind of a dark story about the Ouija board. Um, and the board next to that is another circle board where it's called the Ziera, which has basically the whole dictionary on it. It has just the alphabet and then, you know, probably a thousand different words on there. And it's meant to really speed up the conversation. So those boards in particular, I like them because they're they're kind of dual purposes to them and not just the the alphabet on a board, but like, you know, a, a different way of having the conversation or uh, a more insightful conversation. Could you use the diction, like an actual dictionary as a Ouija board, like just flip through the pages until you kind of like hit one that feels like that's what they want? Yeah. I mean, to me, I always tell people, you know, who are nervous to come in a room full of Ouija boards, I'm like, you know, the cereal box could be a Ouija board. If you have the right size planchette, I mean, the alphabet's on, and it doesn't matter if it's a part of a word, if it's the alphabet, it's the alphabet. So to me, anything can be used in that way as long as you have the, the right size planchette to go to it. Um, yeah. I love that. I love that a, a cereal box could absolutely be a Ouija board. That's similar. One of my favorite retorts when someone's asking to define conspiracy theories I mean, depending on how loose your definition is, but your mom and your dad planning a surprise birthday party for you could be a conspiracy, right? And it's only a theory (laughs) if you're, you know, assuming when they're meeting and what they're talking about without actually knowing it. So, yeah, I mean, I know people that they prefer pendulum instead of instead of uh, Ouija, and um, a lot of times they tell me they open up a, a book and they use the pendulum on there and have more conversations you know, with that, because the words are already spelled out. Um, so that's happened as well, too. So, I, you know, anything can be a Ouija board. Is there a way to influence the pendulum the same way, like like an actual person influencing it? Because it seems like a pendulum is like on its own at that point. 
Yeah, I mean, I I don't really I've never really used pendulum. Um, I would think that that's you know there's always that element of, of, of that someone is moving it, just like the planchette, the the pendulum. I think you can somehow manipulate enough that it could move. Um, the pendulum is usually uh, a more dumbed down conversation. It's usually just, you know, yes and no. Um, but I do meet people that, that they prefer that. And, um, like I said, opening up a book and using it that way, I think a lot of the stigma, the why pendulum might be more preferred is not just being dumbed down is that there's really no horror movies about pendulum boards. Yeah. You know, and, uh, <laughs> until we see the new, which board, of course, which does not have a Ouija board in it. Is this, wait, are you just giving me insider information or is this publicly known? I, that's a good question. Maybe we should cut this out because I don't okay. know. I don't know if it's publicly known or not. Okay. But there is a new, between us right now, uh, there is a, a new witch board film coming out and the Ouija board is not in it. It's a pendulum board. I mean, I'm still in, man. I mean, if it, if they only bought the franchise to merely tug at the heartstrings of people that look fondly back on the first two, I'm still in. Even if it, if I know going in, I'm still in. So, so all right. Um, can can you tell people again where to find you, where your shops at? You know, like what you know, what hours you're open, the best time of the year to come? Because I went there uh, a a month before October because I heard how crazy it gets, and I was pleasantly surprised that even in like late um september there was you know it was nice like like i didn't have to wait in line for almost anything the streets weren't busy um and then i think like october 1st i saw a picture of the street and it was like mardi gras so yeah i mean for for me so i'm 127 essex street that's right on the main drag in salem and we're open year round, seven days a week. We pretty much are only closed Thanksgiving and Christmas. And then, um, you know, right now we're still open 11 to 8, seven days a week. We try and change to our winter hours in another um, week or two. Basically 11 to 6 is, you know, most of it. Um, and then I'm there as much as I possibly can be. If you're interested in coming to the museum, you know, message through Instagram or Facebook. And um, as the winter months go on, I'm going to take some time off. I haven't had a day off since July 4th. So I'm going to take some time off to go down to Baltimore. But if you're interested in coming to the museum, send a message. Let me know the dates you're coming. And I always put them in my calendar. And I do my best. If you took the time to write to me, then I will really try to rearrange my schedule to be there on the day that you're coming. Because I really, I love being there and meeting people. So, you know, I want people to have the best experience possible. Um, so yeah, if anyone's listening here and you want to come to the museum, um, just message us through Instagram, Facebook, and I'll get back to you. It's just me. I'm a one man show. That's awesome. And you said you're taking some time off and going to Baltimore, but is that really time off? Isn't that just you scouting and <laughs> planning for, you know, phase two? Well, I have, I have the location. I have to start setting it up. Okay. <laughs> that's awesome, man. So cool. That's so cool. So coming soon to, to Boston. That's sweet, man. Baltimore. Uh, yeah, sorry. Already in Boston, coming or in Salem, coming to the Baltimore. Is is there any reason not to have one in Boston proper, or is Salem close enough that like Salem's you've already got it covered? Boston, Salem's just way cooler. Did you go to Boston on your trip? I did. Well, actually, I couldn't get a hotel anywhere in Salem, so we stayed in Boston and then just took the the train back over a few times. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I, I've lived in Boston for many years, but I prefer Salem. I just like Salem's just a cooler, you know, park. Spend the day walking around. You don't have to keep, you know, moving the car or, or driving places. And um, it's just a smaller, cooler city, you know. Are there are there any specific places you would recommend for people to stay there? Because they always push like the the what is it the Hawthorne. Um, yeah, Hawthorne is known as more of like the the haunted hotel in Salem, uh, Stepping Stone Inn, um, uh, Hotel Salem. There's a, there's a few other places, and if you're coming off season, then it should be pretty easy to find something. I consider on season to be pretty much August to you know November. August to November is pretty much the season. All right. Well, you heard it here from from the expert himself, uh, John, and uh, definitely I I can't really praise the Salem Witchboard Museum enough. After being, I would say I went to at least ten percent of the museums. I know there's a lot of them out there, but at least on the strip, we hit like all the big ones. And uh, the Salem Witchboard Museum was the highlight for sure. You're the only person that we went. I reached back out to and was like, "Hey, I loved everything about it. I want to talk more about it." Uh, it was an awesome conversation. So yeah, John, you are awesome. Your Salem Witchboard Museum is awesome. And thanks for coming on to the show and talking to me about Ouija for an hour and a half. My pleasure, man. I love talking about Ouija boards. Great meeting you again. And I really appreciate you having me on. All right. And I'm going to leave everyone with an uh, advertisement for our latest comic called Chaos Twins. Uh, if you're watching this, you can still grab a copy right now, but they're selling out quick. All the signed ones are gone. So check this out. Dive into a realm where comedy meets cosmic adventure. Chaos Twins, created by comedian Sam Tripoli and comic publisher Paranoid American, will sweep you off your feet. Join two girls with the astonishing ability to morph into animals, rally with their cryptid crew, and traverse diverse dimensions. But you don't have to take my word for it. Sign up now at chaostwins.com. In a place as curious as Crown City, adventure awaits at every turn. Meet Anna and Becca, two spirited souls navigating a world filled with wonders and weirdness. Alongside their trusted allies, Biggie, Mathilda, and the Chupacabros, they'll stand against aliens, reptilians, and mysteries beyond imagination. Dive into their captivating tales and discover a world where anything is possible. For more information, visit chaostwins.com, samtripoli.com, and paranoidamerican.com. 